0: thanks for checking out the lakeshore podcast if this is your first time listening with us we want you to know god loves you we want for your hope in jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life wherever you are joining us from we hope this message encourages you is um is witnessing really necessary is witnessing really necessary so let me pray Real quick, Holy Spirit, teach us about witnessing. Amen. Okay, so to witness means this, to give evidence, to attest to, or confirm what one has seen, heard, or experienced. And this account we call witnessing is not pushy, not preachy, and guess what? It's not always verbal. Instead, it's, it's, it's us trusting the Lord to work in us through our temperaments, through our, um, through our personalities that he gave to us. See, the great thing about this is God knows how he created each one of you. He knows your temperament. He knows your personality. And we talked about it last week that it's kind of this idea of the fact that he is developing us as kind of this beautiful picture, this beautiful poem, taking our temperaments and our personalities, knowing exactly who we are, and he knows then how you will be most effective to minister in the public place. It's not something that you have to force, right? Like, you know, you never see a tree trying to force a fruit out, right? Where a branch is just kind of shaking and going, trying to knock a fruit out. No, it comes naturally, And see, that's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of Jesus. When he's created us and he's given us these temperaments and personalities, some are very outgoing, some are very, very talkative, some can do all that, some are quiet. Some of us are just kind of, you know, we're middle of the road people. But see, he understands that, but he also at the same time gives us the ability to connect us to people to where we can actually speak into their life. We can actually witness to them in the public place. And that's exciting because I, I personally then, I don't have to force myself to be something I'm not, right? Because I think sometimes we think, oh, i got to force myself to be this way. Well, God doesn't want you to, I mean, sure, maybe, maybe you need to take a little bit of a step of faith and kind of maybe get yourself in the game a little bit. But man, all that he wants out of you is natural. Because that's what's going to minister most to people, is natural. Not, not something crazy. Not, you know, oh man, you know, sometimes you can tell, and this might, I don't know if this is bad or not, but sometimes you can tell where people are just trying way too hard, right? And you're like, ah, oh, come on, just be you, bro, girl, whatever, just be you. Because people will be attracted to that. Much more so than sometimes it's trying to be like totally pushy and preachy and all of that stuff. But see, we have to make the gospel relatable, right? We've got to be in moments where it's practical and it's very much appropriate in the moment, right? So in, that, in our ability to, to minister, then what we do is we allow the Holy Spirit to begin working on people's hearts so that those people will, will want to follow the invitation of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is always wanting to invite He never says, nah, not that guy. Nah, not that girl. Oh, nope. He never says that. It's always about, man, I have an invitation that I want to give to each and every single person in the entire world. But he needs to use us with our temperaments and personalities in order to get the invitation. Right? I mean, have you ever heard about a party and you weren't invited to it? And you were kind of like, what's up with that? I thought we were friends, right? Well, think about it that way, right? I mean, hopefully, man, since you've been saved and have this relationship with Jesus, man, you're part of the party. You're thinking, yeah, man, this man got, yeah, we have difficulties. We have situations that arise. But hopefully, man, you have sensed, man, this has been the best decision I have ever made in my life. Well, see, we've got to be able to look at it and say, well, then, man, I am part of the party, Right? And so I want to make sure that everyone that I know can be invited to the party. And I mean, I'm sure you've been invited to parties and, hey, I can't make it. Okay. But people didn't get mad at you. They just said, I can't make it. Well, our job is to invite, right? And then let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do. So we've got to kind of see ourselves. Um, there was a book that, that uh, we had read a while back, um, uh, um, about seeing ourselves kind of as travel guides on a spiritual journey instead of car salesmen trying to close the deal when it comes to our witness, when it comes to ministry, right? Because we've all kind of maybe have in some way, shape, or form seen the car salesman trying to you know close the deal. Maybe you've tried to buy a car or something, and they're like, on you, like, dude, back up, bro, right? But see, sometimes we've got to be able to say, hey, man, I am more wanting to just kind of help you through this process in order for you to see who Christ is, to see the salvation of the Lord in your life. And man, I am here with you through whatever that's going to take. And that might be increase in prayer for that person. That might be increase in just encouragement, whatever that is. But see, we've got to be able to say, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a car salesman. I'm going to present the invitation I'm going to pray over the invitation. I'm going to kind of try to keep in, 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 um, in the person just, hey, remember, you have an invite, right? Don't you love those, like, uh, what is those um, um, uh, internet invites? I can't remember what it's called. But they say, hey, you didn't respond yet, right? It pops up on your thing. I can't remember what they, what's it called? What? Evite, yeah, right? Evites come up. And the evites say, hey, you haven't responded yet. Tell them that you're going to or not. Well, same thing. You, sometimes you just got to be that internet person, right? And you just got to go, hey, how are you thinking about that invite? What about that invite I gave you? What do you think about it? And they still might not be there. Okay, that's fine. But I'm going to keep praying for you, right? And so before we jump into Acts 4, uh, let, me, let me give you some kind of this background uh, because we're going to talk about two guys who simply gave what they had okay they simply gave what they had and then they had sh- they shared what they had seen and what they had experienced which then gave the holy spirit opportunity to develop in them a- an understanding of what this means to be fisher of men right and then it also empowered them to reach a whole group of people but what I love about it, and we'll point it out in a, in a few minutes here, is God used it in their personality and in their temperament. See, I don't think we ever probably have, have seen it this way, but we'll get there in a minute. But he, he, here's some context to it. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come and empower them to become witnesses. Then Acts chapter two happens, and 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. Peter got up and preached a fiery message, and, and it resulted in 3,000 people coming to be saved. And then after that, um, shortly after Pentecost, Peter and John these are our two guys, were on their way to the temple to pray. Now the funny thing about Peter and John, there are two different personalities, wouldn't you say? We know Peter, right? Peter is probably really famous because he's the one that's always getting in the mix of stuff and fumbling all over things and have done things and whatever. And then you have John. To me, when I read the book of John, John's more of a just kind of a compassionate heart guy. He's just got this compassionate love for Jesus. He's got this compassionate love for people. But he's not outspoken like Peter. He's not, hey, I'm right at the forefront of everything. Yeah, let's go. No, John's kind of, to me, When I'm reading, he kind of just this guy that is is just kind of like compassionate. I'm with you, Peter. Let's go witness. But I might do it a little bit different than Peter. And guess what? Peter was okay with that. I really believe that. Because why else would Peter hang out with him? Right? And so I almost think in some ways, maybe, this is just my speculation, that maybe John brought balance to Peter sometimes. And maybe Peter brought balance to John sometimes, but that, I'm just that's extra, okay? I won't charge you at the door, I promise, but that's just extra, okay? So here they are. They're on their way up to the temple to pray, and they came across this crippled man who was laying there um, by, by the gate who was asking for money. So when Peter sees him, the Holy Spirit kind of prompts him to say, hey, look at me. So the man did because he expected that Peter was going to give him money because that was his whole purpose of being there. Instead, this is what Peter said. I don't have money. But but listen to what he said. But I can give you what I do have. You notice that? That's important. I'll give you what I have. I don't have what you want, but I can give you what I have. And so then in some ways, I think the guy said, yeah, give it to me, because I think he probably was still thinking he's still going to give me money. So he might give me a quarter instead of the dollar I'm asking for. But see, that it, it wasn't about that. But see, that's where I think sometimes we've got to get in, in, our, in our, our lane and think about the fact, I have something to give. That person on the job that I'm working with, I have something I can give. It, it, it might not be financial. It might not be the greatest wisdom of the world. But you know what? I have something. And that something might be, hey, can I pray with you? That something might be, hey, you know what? Um, Have you heard about Jesus? Jesus came into my life and this is what he's done. But see, we, we, we have to understand, we all have something that we can give, okay? So then Peter basically pulls him up on his feet and says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And then the scripture tells us immediately, right? The lame man was healed, he got up, He started walking, he started leaping, and shouting praises to God. Can you imagine that, leaping, right? Yeah, whatever, like a cheerleader, kind of. But here he is, he's so excited, so in his excitement, he follows Peter and John into the temple. Now, you can imagine that caused quite a, a commotion, right? Caught quite a stir, man, it drew a crowd. And then they began to ask, hey, so, how did this happen, and the guy the crippled man or the post crippled man whatever you want to say he responded by pointing to Peter and saying you know it was that guy and then peter said why are you looking at me it's kind of paraphrased but why do you look at me i can't heal anyone all i did was pray in jesus name that was the something he had and if you're a believer guess what you have that too you have that name above all names. You have that ability to pray for someone and to believe God would do something in their heart, in their life, at that very moment. Why not? We serve a big God. He can do big things through you. So we can't like limit Him. We can't you know, hold... Uh, no. Let's take, let's take the, the reins off of it. And say, man, I serve a big God. This is all I got. But I can sure pray for you and let's believe God, that God can heal, God can do what he needs to do in your life. Okay? So not only that, then Peter realizes, hey, I got another opportunity here. I got a moment to share about Jesus with this crowd in this public place. And so for the rest of the chapter, he does. He goes on. So then Acts chapter 4 opens up with the religious leaders hearing about it, and they come and show up. And they're like, okay, man, what, what's coming on? Man, we notice all this ruckus. What, we, we want to investigate what's going on. And then they discover that here Peter is, and he's talking about Jesus. And they're seeing the crippled guy who was healed now. And he's jumping around excited. And the people were just, you know, this level of anticipation, this level of excitement is just rising. And so they did what any logical theologian would do. They put him in jail. Right? I mean, yeah, let's do that. So they end up putting them in jail overnight. But the word tells us that that didn't matter. 5,000 people started following Jesus because of, of, of what Peter brought to the table. His, 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 this is what I have. God can use what you have, even if it's a small thing, to impact lots of people. That's pretty cool, I think. So here the disciples were becoming witnesses, just like Jesus had promised. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verses 5 and 6. And it said, "And And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, or, you know, you could kind of say the religious supreme court, right, as well as Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, Uh, I guess you could say Jewish elites, were gathered together at Jerusalem. So these were the big guns, right? They were the top religious leaders of the day. They they were the ones who were the masterminds behind the plot to kill Jesus and and to keep His resurrection quiet. And so they've come really far in this effort to to make sure that, that, that none of this would start a Jesus movement. Or none of this would um, start a a Jesus revolution. Man, they they wanted to make sure, hey, we we need to cap this thing. We need to shut it down. We need to do whatever it takes. So verse 7 says, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, before I say what he said, I'm sure Peter was maybe in that moment kind of like us. Where like, you know, you're like, okay, what am I going to say? How is this going to come out? What exactly is it? How am I going to answer this? Right. I mean, have you ever been in those moments in the public place and you're talking to someone about Jesus and someone asks you a question or something like that and right away your mind starts to go, okay, how do, how do, what do I say? How do I navigate this? Well, you know what? What I love is Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would give us the words to say. I love that. And so in that moment, I, man, I bet you the Holy Spirit went and he downloaded, right? He, 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 he just had this influx of organized thoughts given to Peter And so Peter formulated this response with with the Holy Spirit's help. And in his response, Peter became a fisher of men. And here's what he said. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a, a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. What I love is, in in today's terms, Peter kept receipts. Peter kept receipts, man. Right? He said, hey, you remember that guy. You remember the guy that you killed? You remember the guy you crucified? You remember, man, all of that? But guess what? He raised from the dead. It didn't work. What you thought was going to work with him didn't work. Because he's still alive. And he's changing lives today. He's changing people's lives. And then he goes on to quote this, this, this um, passage, verse 11, in, in Psalms 118, 22. But he says this, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So in other words, he's all, hey, look, guys, you may be all that in a bag of chips, right? You may think you're all that, but you were the builders that this scripture is talking about. You are the ones, right, that did not accept that Jesus was the chief cornerstone, that Jesus was the Messiah, you guys are the ones that blew it. (laughs) And then he goes on to say in verse 12, in case they hadn't connected the dots yet, right? Um, He says this in verse 12, nor is there any, oh, I'm sorry, nor is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter's telling the man that Jesus was and is the one and only Messiah, the Savior of the world. Basically saying, hey, whether you agree with it or not, he is. And Then in Acts 4.13, he goes on to say, now when they, that's the religious people, the religious senate, saw that boldness, saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, has John said anything yet? Kind of not. It's pretty much been Peter. See, that that's what I'm talking about. God will use you, however you're wired, to still be a part of the witnessing, still part of the ministry. So now when they had saw that boldness of Peter and John and, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. That means they just were caught off on, caught off guard in amazement. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything, or they could not say against it. They could not say, yeah, nothing against it. But when they had commanded them, that's Peter and John, to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. Verse 16, Saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Verse 18. So they called them, right, back in, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So basically what they were doing is they called them back in and said, okay, hey, we're acknowledging the miracle." And the fact that this guy is healed. That God used you to, um, to, to make this happen. And then also we understand that you've been with Jesus. We believe that, and that you believe that he is the Messiah. And we're even okay with you guys just talking amongst yourself. But here's the deal. From this point on, now you are not allowed to talk about, teach about, or even mention the name of Jesus in public. kind of feels that way in our world today, doesn't it? You bring up Jesus, what? <laughs> You know, you, you, you can bring up God. They're okay with that. But when you talk about Jesus, there are people who will come at you. Verse 19 says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more, uh, more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and Heard. So basically Paul and John, right, said, hey, with all due respect, you know, we were, we were standing there watching you kind of create this um, phony trial. We kind of watched and listened to you guys orchestrate this thing and, you know, convict him wrongfully um, with using your influence and, 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 and the, your decisions, you know, to, to put him to death. We were also there three days later when Jesus rose from the dead. And we actually looked into the empty tomb. Now, this is all kind of, I'm pouring into what you know, their, their kind of response is because it doesn't actually say that in Scripture. But I, can you imagine all the thoughts, all the, the flooding that, that well, wait a minute, dude, we, we've been there. We've seen it. We went to the grave and we saw that the, his grave clothes were folded nicely and neatly and, and, and stacked into place. We were there when he showed up into the house right? And and he he ate food with us. And he even had, you know, Thomas put his fingers in the nail holes of his hands in order for him to recognize and realize that he really was alive. Then for 40 days, man, we walked with him, talked with him. We shared breakfast on the beach and he cooked it. He's the one that cooked the the breakfast for us. So don't ask us to explain that all of that because we can't. But you know what? We can't keep quiet. About what we have seen and heard, we—it's more prevalent, I think, sometimes in, in other countries where, man, it's man—I—I—I'll I, go before a firing squad, and I won't stop preaching Jesus. But we get it in America, and it's kind of like, wow, well, wow, well, man, that guy's a little touchy about it. So you know, I don't want to cross, you know. But again, it's not like you're shoving but it's just the fact that, you know what, we can't back down, easily back down. So he says, hey, hey, we won't stop speaking about the things which we've seen and heard. Then he says in verse 20, uh, 21 and 20, 22, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, right? Because they, not that they didn't want to, they just didn't. Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done, for the man was over 40 years old, on whom the miracle of healing had been performed, right? So overall, we can see that, you know, God was moving. God, would, God was doing some things. And they had been, been Peter and John, and, and really all these other people had experienced something that God was doing in their life, this miraculous thing. And so that, that leads us, right, to three inevitable, uh, valid responses to that question that we asked in our title, is witnessing really necessary? Well, witnessing is really necessary. Here's the first one. Because something really happened. Something really happened. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 10 tells us, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you hold. Before you hold, yeah. Now, that just says that, you know what? Jesus really lived, died, rose again from the dead. And it's not only a biblical fact, but, you know, we can find some historical things as well. Um, I mean, there's evidence outside of the Bible from non-Christian sources that we can find, right, in some of the ancient writing um, that he existed in history. A couple of them a writer named uh, Celsus in 175 AD. He, he, was, he was quite an ag, ag, man, antagonistic to the claims of the gospel, but what he didn't realize is that unknowingly he affirmed in his criticism, the Bib- uh, he confirmed what the biblical authors and what their content was all about. And this is what he said. He said that Jesus had an earthly father who was a carpenter, that identifies. Now, he said, possessed unusual magic, okay, unusual magic powers and claimed to be God. Then Josephus uh, in 37 AD, and he wrote a lot, but we won't read a lot of it, but he, he, he concluded some things here. He said that, you know, um, Jesus was a wise man, a teacher, he worked amazing deeds was accursed by the Jews, crucified under Pilate, and had followers called Christians. So these guys are proven that Jesus was alive. These, these things happened, right? And then we'll bring it up a little bit more here in, in more modern times. In, in back in 98, there was a reporter at a big-time Chicago newspaper and, and a graduate of, of Yale Law School who was an atheist. And his wife got converted to Christianity. And so he's decided, hey, I'm going to be out. I'm going to try to disprove that this is a lie. I'm going to go after some key Christian claims about Jesus. And so the first one that he was going to go after was the historic fact of Jesus' resurrection, along with other claims that included the belief in Jesus as the literal Son of God and the accuracy of the New Testament writings. So this research took him approximately about two years. And in that time, he was unable to refute or disprove these claims to his satisfaction. Two years he spent, hardcore, trying to disprove and he couldn't. So he did what any good lawyer and you know, journalist does after an extensive investigation. He came to the verdict and had to admit that Jesus was who he said he was. He, he then converted to Christianity. And out of his research, the author's name was Lee Strobel, right? The atheist turned Christian. He published this book called The Case for Christ, a journalist' a personal investigation of the evidence of Jesus, which has become one of the best-selling books on um, Christian apologetics, okay? Which is a defense of the reasonableness and the accuracy of, of, of Christianity. But it's become the best-selling book of all time. And this is a quote that, that comes from that book. He said, it would take more faith to remain an atheist than it would to become a Christian. And then I love in 1 Corinthians 15, again, trying to look at it that something did happen. We have Paul expressing Reality that something really happened. He, he, this is what he says. He says, the, the first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it. That he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, again, exactly as Scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter then to his closest followers, and then later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, although it says a few have since died. I love that because it kind of feels like Paul's like going, so go ask them. If you don't believe me, go ask them. It says that he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him and that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. So Paul gives all of this evidence. He's like, hey, if you don't believe it, go ask. Right? So the gospel is not speculation or theory. It concerns events that were confirmed and documented. Right? I I believe that, you know what? Paul would not have said it if he didn't believe it. Okay, and so if that wasn't enough to warrant our our sharing, the second point is witnessing is necessary because something happened to you. Something happened to you. Again, back to Acts chapter 4. It says, They couldn't take their eyes off of them, Peter and John standing there so confident. Now this is in the message version. Standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training, in, scriptural, in scripture or formal education, they recognized them as companions of Jesus, but with the man right before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? So since here you got the Jewish leaders couldn't deny that something happened, they just pressured them not to, to speak about Jesus. Again, because they, they feared that something would happen within the people. And then, you know, a few verses later, they talk about how, you know what, Jesus radically changed their lives. Just by being with Jesus. For us today, if we were to say just by being with Jesus, that would be the secret place. That would be you and I creating our own special time with the Lord. And I love how it says, too, and again, this is kind of off topic a, a tiny bit, but I love how it says, too, that they were uneducated men. <laughs> so we can't use the excuse, well, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I, man, when you have the Holy Spirit, He gives you everything you need. Like something will pop up out of you, like you're all, where did that come from? Right? And the Holy Spirit said, hey, you had it reserved down inside. Almost like a savings account. Right? You don't use your savings account until you absolutely need it. Well, the same thing. The more you di- uh, involve the Holy Spirit and the more you digest God's Word, it's like depositing it in a, in a savings bank. And when the time is right and you need to use it, boom, it's right there. That was extra 2 I'm not charging you. Okay? But then in Acts chapter 4, because you know, Jesus was radically changing their lives, it says for us, there, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. And we've seen that play out in Scripture as well, right? When, when people had been with Jesus, there was an, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus healed a leper and told him, hey, don't tell anyone that it, that it was me that did this to you. Yet the man, however, because he had been with Jesus, something had happened inside of his life. He wouldn't told everyone. He didn't even pay attention to Jesus. He said, Jesus, what you did for me was so radical in my life, I got to share it. Then you have in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus healed two blind men. And the same thing, Jesus says, still. See, see that no one knows about it. Yet what did they do? They spread the news. They went out and spread it. Now, Jesus had his reasons for saying that. But, 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 but do you, are you understanding when, man, you've had something happen to you, that should be a change in such a way that, man, you cannot help but share it. Right? No matter what your personality is and whether you're an introvert, extrovert, middlevert like me, whatever that is, you, you should be able to share what God's doing in your life. You know, then you had the woman at the well. We, we talked about a little bit of her about last week. The woman at the well. Jesus, she has an encounter with Jesus. What does she do? She run, or she just walks away really fast. It doesn't say she ran, but she walked away, left her water pot. That was the reason why she was there. But she left her water pot because she had been with Jesus. Something had happened on the inside of her, and she couldn't wait to tell those in the city, right? And then they all came out. So what about your story? If you've been with Jesus, right, you can speak about those things that you have heard, right? Those things that you've experienced in your life, the things that God continues to work on and and, and continues to, because we're all not perfect. He's continuing to work on me. He's continuing to work on you. We're all not perfect, but you know what? There are things that have happened in my life personally that I can share with others about the goodness of God, about how Jesus has changed my life how Jesus has done things in my life. And I will say, I'm not perfect. My wife can attest to that. <laughs> At least she didn't say amen, so that's good, right? Because <laughs> if she said, yeah, amen, boy, I'd be in trouble. But, but, but understand, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's our ability then to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, something has happened in my life, and I want to share it. So all of us really do have a story to tell whether it's a big story, oh man, I came from the very depths of this and that and da 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 You know, people have these big, huge testimonies and go, well, oh, man, I didn't have an experience like that, so mine's not really that awesome. So we tend to shy away. But whether, whether your testimony is small or big, I grew up in church all my life. I got saved when I was this. And man, you know, God's been faithful. Man, that is an awesome story. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. It could be something just rock solid that you can present, okay? And so if, if you struggle with that idea, then man, you know, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. And so when you look at these two, you would think, okay, well, that, that, that should give you good reasons, but really there, there's one more that I want to present um, that's really probably the most important So our last one is witnessing is necessary because salvation is found in no other name. Salvation is found in no other name. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, there is no one else who has the power to save us. Now this is in the Passion Translation. For there is only one name. I love there's a little thing that says, you know what, there's no second choice in this. There's only one name no second choice, to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation. The name of Jesus. Right? And in some way, you could look at it and say, the message of salvation is not intuitive, right? And what I mean is that you, know, you can't come to the gospel's conclusion that Jesus is the only way to be saved kind of like on your own. The Holy Spirit plays a part in it, but also, guess what? People play a part in it, right? People play a part in it. I mean, you think of your life. Did someone play a part in, in the role of helping you see who Jesus was? Because our natural bent, our flesh, would be like, no, nah, why would I do that? I can't even see the person. But see, there's all these things kind of working, working together, And, and we have to understand, that, yes, there's, there's, there's good and there's evil in the world. And, and we might even believe that we can get there by just being a good person, right? We might believe that, oh, well, God's good and, and, and God's there and He gives blessings to good people. So, man, I'm just going to strive to keep being good, right? And if you look at it really, I mean, you can look at a, a, many, you know, religions approached about just being good but they don't do anything with the name of Jesus. They don't do anything with that. Because here you look at it and you think, man, you know what? The Bible adamantly and resoundingly stands alone in its declaration that salvation can be found in no other name than the name of Jesus. Right? And good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Right? And forgiven people do because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have to let that kind of sink in that you know what? The Lord wants you to play a part. He wants you to, to know that He wants to use you in the public place. Again, like I said, it's not pushy. It's not you getting a blowhorn in your job and saying, hey, you turn to burn. Not any of that. Okay? But but what it is, is him using your personality, your giftings, your ability, and your um, um, uniqueness, because he created you, to begin to to witness in a way. Sometimes, remember I said, it doesn't have to be verbal, but just by the way you live your life, because people will recognize, hey, there's something different about you the way you live your life. And you're not preaching, you're not preachy, you're not doing what, but what is it? What's going on? And then you have the door wide open. And so here he is, he's asking us to to recognize, you know what? He wants to use us in the public place. And he doesn't ask us to do that because we're morally superior, or we have perfect theology, or a claim to have all the answers to life's question. That's not, not it. But see, what he wants is for you to be able to share your witness, be able to share what he's done for you. What has he done for you? I mean, it might even be a challenge to go home and just take a pe- sheet of paper and, and, and start writing, what has Jesus done for me since I gave my life to him? You know what? I, I bet you, I mean, it'll start flooding back. It'll start being this recognition of that. But see, what he wants you to do is you to take that and share it with other people. In your personality, in your demeanor, in your either, hey, I'm out there, or I'm very quiet. See, I see, and I, and I keep saying that only because I want to build your confidence, right? I want you to, to recognize that. I want you to, to understand, okay, God knows you, God created you. So he knows how you will best witness to others. See, I, I'm not one of those pastors that can knock on doors real easy and go door to door and try to witness to them. You know, I, I'm just not. I, that's not my personality. I know pastors that can do that, and they do it well, and that's their gift. Praise God for them. But see, I, 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 I don't necessarily operate that way, but I can still, whenever that opportunity arrives, I, I'll go to bat, Whatever the Lord wants me to do. But see, he wants us to be able to share it so that remarkable things will happen in their life as well. So, here's where you start. Begin talking to God and asking him to help you become a fisher of men. Ask him to begin to say, hey, what exactly is it that meant you, I can have you do in my life? And then what you should do is then look for the opportunity. Look for an opportunity this week. Okay? Now, maybe, listen, maybe it's not verbal, but maybe it's you just doing something that you are led by God to just maybe bless somebody. Right? Maybe it's, hey, you know what? I feel like, can I buy you a cup of coffee today? Can I I buy your meal today? Yeah, why would you do that? I just, man, you know what? I just, man, God, God's, God's love for you is so big. I, I just want to love you too. I, want, I just want to be able to bless you. Just even something like that, man, I'm telling you, man, that, that could rock somebody's core. Because we don't know what the Holy Spirit's been doing in people. I mean, we don't. But see, that's where then we have to be listening and, and obedient and to follow along what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And when we make that step, man, that could be a life-changing moment for that person. And we think, ah, all we did was buy him a cup of coffee. You just never know. So begin to pray. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God, help me to become a fisher of men. Help me, whatever that looks like in my life, however, with my personality. And then help me to look for some opportunities. And then the last thing is, you know what? You can't close a message like this without at least saying, if you don't know Jesus, today's your day. You, you, you need him. All the goodness that he has given to my life, he wants to give to your life as well. And so as we end this morning, um, everyone bow your heads for a second. And there is no right way, wrong way about how, you do, how we do this. But this morning... If you would say, you know what, Pastor Scott? Yeah, I, 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 man, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to experience, even if whatever you know Peter and John experience or, or whatever you experience, Pastor Scott. So this morning, I, I just want to lay it out there. I want to give you, give you an opportunity. And if that's you, all, all I would ask is that you would, you would raise your hand, but in that process of raising your hand, you have to make a commitment back, not only to pray the prayer that we will pray if if someone raises their hand, but also to come up and find me and talk to me because I have something to give to you because I want to be able to bless you. And so if any of you are in this house that say, you know what? Yeah, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the very first time. Just go ahead and slip up that hand. All of heaven will rejoice. Will rejoice. And then if there's anybody in this house that I would say, yeah, man, I've backslidden. I've lost my way, but I want to come back. I want to, I want to find my way back to Jesus. Feel free to lift, lift that hand up too. And so, Father, we, we thank you for what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. <laughs> I thank you that you are working in us. Maybe even taking some sandpaper to some areas that we hold a hard stance with when it comes to public place ministry or just our relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and you would begin to sandpaper and smooth those rough edges. In our hearts, in our minds, doing what only you can do. I thank you for building within us courage, boldness, to be Peter's, to be John's, and to be witnesses of what the Lord has done for us. And so I thank you for what you're doing in us. You're doing in our body right here. And you're doing in our body as a whole. I thank you that there is a a, a season that you are stirring your, your, your church To arise into a place of kingship. Where the church would actually become what you've always wanted it to become in this season. That we truly would be a bride ready for the bridegroom to come. So continue to do that work. Continue to stir, stir up that, stir up the gifts in us. And that this would be a brand new season for all of us. And we love you for it. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.